0: Hey there, it's Debbie, and welcome to Playback Friday. I'm going back into the archives and re-releasing some of my favorite conversations from years ago every Friday. Unless you're a longtime listener of the show, there's a good chance you haven't heard this one yet, and even if you are, you just may get something completely different from listening to it this time around.
1: Most parents don't know what I'm about to talk to you about. Like, this is a area of confusion and darkness and shame and embarrassment. And most parents, most of us had really crappy examples when we were growing up.
0: Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. And today's guest is Amy Lang, a sexuality educator and parenting expert. So before I go any further, I want to let you know that today, Amy and I are going to be having a very frank and very open conversation about sex ed for kids, which means we'll be referring to body parts by their proper names and also talking about things you might not want your little ones to hear at this particular time. So if you've got kids in the room or in the car with you, I'll give you a moment to pause the podcast before continuing. Okay, ready? As I was saying today, Amy and I are gonna get into it all when it comes to sex ed and our differently wired kids. What they need to know, when they need to know it, how to talk about it, and most importantly, why Amy feels so passionately that sex ed is a health and safety issue for our children. And I completely agree. And before we get into our conversation, I wanted to take a quick moment to give a shout out to Ashley Dolan. Ashley's a new backer of the Tilt Parenting podcast through our Patreon campaign. Thank you so much for your support of what we're doing. And if you'd like to join Ashley through Patreon, you can make a small monthly contribution that will go towards funding the production costs associated with our podcast. Even $2 a month makes a big difference. If you'd like to support what we're doing here at the podcast, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Parenting. Thanks for considering and for being a part of our community. And now let's get on with the show.
2: Hey, everyone,
0: it's Debbie Reeper here with the Tilt Parenting podcast, and I'm happy to be wel- welcoming a very smart friend of mine to the show today the fabulous Amy Lang. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. It's been a while. It's been a while. I'm very excited to have you on the show. And as I said in the introduction to this episode, you are a sexuality educator. And on your website, you write that you are fiercely committed to guiding parents and other adults to become empowered to have regular, open and effective conversations about the birds and the bees with the kids they love. You also write that my goal is to help you raise up your children into healthy, happy, and whole adults who understand and embrace their unique sexuality. So first of all, I love that. I loved reading that. And I'm just excited to be sharing you with the Tilt Parenting audience today. I've definitely gotten questions from time to time from listeners about having the sex talk with their differently wired kids. And I also know that We could probably talk about this for hours. You have a ton of great information to share. So I think we should just dive in. Does that sound like a plan? Excellent. I would love if we could start, if you could just take a few minutes to tell us about who you are as a parent and a sex educator, kind of, you know, a bit about your story and how exactly you came to be doing this work, which I know is your passion. Oh, how, where do I start?
1: I have been involved in sex education since I was 20 uh, ish, 21, 22. And I volunteered for a telephone hotline. And I was providing abortion and birth control and adoption and pregnancy counseling over the phone to women who were dealing with unplanned pregnancy. And I loved it. And that led me to running the hotline and just doing general sexual health education and counseling for over 16 years. And it was it was my hobby. And I uh, was in my element working with people around this really uncomfortable topic. And I would even like rearrange my work schedule to accommodate my volunteer schedule. So this was definitely a big Mm -hmm. part of my world. And I had assumed that when I became a parent, I was just going to be a total rock star sex talker. I love talking about sexuality. I'd talk to pretty much anybody you can think of about their <laughs> sex life in one way or the other. And I also, along the way, got a master's degree in adult education. And so I ended up getting pregnant the year I got my degree and my pregnancy was planned because, yeah, that was not going to happen to me. Um <laughs> know, And then when my son was about four, he was getting ready for a bath. And I thought he was going to tell me it felt good to touch his penis. And I just freaked out like in my head. And I'm like, Oh, no, you better not tell me it feels good to touch your penis. Because I got nothing. I don't know what to say to you. I don't know how to explain to you what's going on. Please don't talk to me about your penis. So I have this whole <laughs> internal ridiculous in retrospect dialogue. And uh, that was the moment where I thought, Oh, crap, I am not Ready to have a conversation with a kid about sex. And it wasn't even about sex, it was just about his bod. So that led me to doing some research. And then I realized that I was probably not the only parent on the planet that was going to, you know, potentially suck at these conversations. So I decided to start a company. And my company is called Birds and Bees and Kids. And I, my whole goal was to help parents figure out how to have values based, research based, effective, fun conversations with their kiddos. And, you know, I don't work with children at all. I just work with my one lovely now 16 year old human being who is completely mortified by my work. So (laughs) super fun over here. And so Milo's 16. And my husband, Carrie, and I have been married for a long time. I can never remember. (laughs) I think it's 23 years or maybe 25. I don't know requires me doing math. So we have regular conversations with him. He is the worst audience ever. Uh, He does not want to hear it. So it's made me super skilled at like being the super sneaky sex talker. Uh, So yeah, anyway, so that's my story. And so I've been doing this for uh, since
0: 2005. And that's what I was put on the planet to do. Wow, that's great. I love that. I love how your personal journey ties in and was the impetus for you becoming who you are. I find that uh, that's certainly the case with my journey as well. Asher is so responsible for who I am and what I do today. And I, I just think that's so it's one of the many gifts that our kids give us. Definitely. And just for listeners, you are from Seattle, which is where I used to live with Asher and my husband before we moved to the Netherlands. And long before you and I ever met, I I think we must have known each other at this point now for eight or so years. But even before I met you, I heard about you because you were the birds and the bees lady. Like you were the go to person in the Seattle region. And I know that your reputation, you know, virtually expands internationally, but I just knew I'm like, oh, you want to have the talk, you want to figure this out, you have to talk to Amy, <laughs> ever like, come talk to your group. So and I, I remember at the time, I think I was in a parent group, and we were kind of discussing when is it you know, when do we have these conversations? And personally, we've always gone with the honesty policy, that honest questions get honest answers. And I think Asher asked some pretty you know, caught me off guard uh, questions about sexuality or, or where babies came from. And I remember just my default was to be pretty matter of fact, scientific, honest about it. But what is your advice with regards to when to begin these conversations with kids? Is it child focused? Or should we be initiating these conversations? So that is one of the biggest
1: questions parents have. And the biggest myth out there about sex talking is that it is child centered. It is not their job to ask us questions about sex and Mm. sexuality and their bodies. Uh, You know, think about it in terms of like their nutrition. Like it's not your kid's job to tell you what's for dinner right? It's not your kid's job to do the grocery shopping. It's not your kid's job to be in charge of making sure they eat a balanced diet. That is totally your responsibility. Mm. The sexuality conversations, same thing. It's not your child's job to ask you how babies are made. It's your job to tell your child, this is how babies are made. This is what sex is. These are our, you know, family values about sexuality. It's your responsibility to make sure that they are healthy and they understand how things work. Same with their nutrition, right? Like, your job is to make sure your child understands why it's important to eat fruits and vegetables, right? That's not their job. And they don't ask questions usually about their diet, right? They kind of do like, why can't I have mac and cheese for every meal, right? <laughs> they get those kinds of questions. And then we respond. So, you know, with and when it comes to sexuality, of course, your kids are going to ask questions or not. Lots of kids never ask, you know, your child's going to have some questions. So when you're waiting for them, to uh, ask you questions about how babies are made or about sexuality in general, you're making their sexual health, their responsibility. It is not their responsibility. It's our responsibility. So if you've been waiting for your kid to ask you about how babies are made or whatever, it's, you're not doing them any favors
0: because it's not their job. It's your job. Hmm. That's a great reframe. Okay. So if it's our job, when do we start then having these conversations? So
1: that's the good news and the bad news. So I also just want to back up the truck a minute and say a couple of things. So first of all, most parents don't know what I'm about to talk to you about. Like this is a area of confusion and darkness and shame and embarrassment. And most parents, most of us had really crappy examples of how to parent around sexuality when we were growing up. Mm -hmm. So as I'm talking, if you're doing the old guilt and shame thing, don't bother. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You You don't know what you don't know. And in particular, with Differently Wired Kids, they're actually more vulnerable. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. So the snarky short answer to the question is at birth. <laughs> the kinder, more like we can get this party started anytime answer is this. Uh, you know, I know you're in the Netherlands, right? And yes. so one of the things that I did when I started my company, was like, all right, I got to figure out who's got it all going on. Like who has the lowest teen pregnancy rate? Who has the lowest, you know, teen STD and uh, HIV rate? And that is where you are in the Netherlands. They yeah. have in the world, they completely rocket when it comes to childhood sexual health and adolescent sexual health. So I'm like, all right, what's happening there that is not happening in the United States? In the US, we're still number one in the developed world in terms of teen pregnancy and teen sexually transmitted infection rates. So we suck at this. Mm -hmm. And so looking at the Netherlands and their model, their model is very early sex education, oftentimes starting in kindergarten. And when I say sex education, I mean like penis goes in vagina, like they are straight up with kids from a really early age. And then that education continues all the way through their schooling. So they have a very clear, they've clearly embraced the fact that sexuality is a natural part of life and that children deserve to be educated about it. So that's like the first thing that's going on there. The second thing that's going on there is that they have this really open culture around sexuality. They get that it's a natural, healthy part of life. that's a wonderful part of life. They are progressive in terms of their philosophy about sexuality. And they are, they really see sexuality as a positive part of life. So that's what's called when we hear this phrase like sex positive that's what sex positive is. It doesn't mean, you know, I think sometimes people get hung up in the idea of sex positive. And that means, do I? does that mean I have to wear a mask and, you know, and have sex with four people at once? Like, no, that's not what sex positive is. <laughs> sex positive means that sex is a natural, healthy, fun, wonderful part of life that comes with great responsibility. So my philosophy is basically the same philosophy as the Netherlands. We need to start the party. We need to start the conversations. By the time kids are five, that's the ideal time. Uh, They're super open to it. They don't have any embarrassment or shame about the topic or their bodies. They haven't learned that yet. Some natural modesty does kick in around nine or so. So that's typical, but, you know, around this topic. So, you know, when we start sooner, it's easier. It's easier on them. It's easier on us. You know, a five-year-old is not going to assess your behavior in the same way that a 12-year-old is. You know, 12-year-olds are on to all of our tells, right? Like sweaty upper lip, two glasses of wine to get through a book, you know, Your kid's gonna notice. Yeah, five year old's gonna be like, "Huh," and then back on topic.
0: That's so great, and I'm I'm glad you brought up the Netherlands. I mean, obviously, as an American living here, it's something we moved here when Asher was nine. I wasn't aware of. I mean, I knew it was kind of an open culture in many ways, but I wasn't aware of the sex education piece until I took. Asher to Nemo, which is our science museum. In in many ways, it's your typical immersive city science museum, super interactive, but there's a lot to explore. But the way it's laid out, every floor appeals to different age groups. And the higher you go up, it's a it's a an older group. And I remember Asher wanted to go to the top floor, which is the teen floor, and it is all about sex. It has an interactive, like you can Play with giant tongues to French kiss. It has many different (laughs) forms of, yeah, of contraception. It has mannequins and various sexual positions. I mean, it's, it, he did not spend really, I mean, he saw, turned around, (laughs) it was out of there. But, you know, and, and, you know, I'm homeschooling Asher, but I know for friends who have Americans or other expats who have their kids in, in Dutch schools here that it does. It starts at four and five talking about, just the differences between boys and girls, and they very much talk about respect and attraction and same sex attractions and dating you know it's it goes very deep, and it is something that I think especially again Americans, maybe it's our generation you know our generation of parents and the way we were raised, but it is is definitely so different than the messages, if we heard any messages at all, uh, the messages that we heard as when we were kids. So you must be so busy. <laughs> you know, I, I imagine in your work a lot of it is helping parents kind of deal with their own hang ups before they can have it. the conversation. So what does that look like? Yeah.
1: So that looks like a couple of different things. Like you hit on one of the main things. It's like we really need to spend some time like thinking and talking with friends or our partners, whoever we're parenting with, about how we learned about sex when we were growing up. So what that means is uh, where did we get our information? So who was providing the information? So how did we learn those sort of nuts and bolts stuff? And then what kinds of values messages were we taught about sexuality within our families, within the religion we were involved in, if any, uh, culturally- um, you know, ethnically, you know, like all those different layers, like what were the messages we got about sexuality? What were the values we got? And what was it, Where do we get our information? And I believe that when we spend time looking at that, that it actually helps us to do a couple things. First of all, it helps us let go of what didn't work for us. It helps us embrace what did and the biggest thing I think it does for most parents is it that makes them go, okay, I do not want that for my kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I want my kid to step into the world of dating and relationships feeling pretty damn confident, you know, about how things work and about, you know, understanding what consent means and how that looks, you know, understanding the changes of their bodies, understanding, you know, some of your values about dating and waiting for sex and that sort of thing. And so that they enter, you know, they enter that arena as prepared as they can be bearing in mind, of course, that there is nothing like, you know getting busy to really learn. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is a a practical application, right? You need to practice, you know, dating, relating that, all of that, like you're learning as you're going. But if you already are starting out your dating life, knowing that, you know, knowing that consent means everyone agrees, right? Uh, Knowing that, knowing your personal limits, like in terms of like, okay, so I'm going to go out on this date with this person. And, you know, how far am I willing to go, you know, understanding, like, you know, having personal rules, like, you know, I don't do any physical contact for the first three dates, I really want to get to know the person, you know, having family rules, like I know one family that their rule was that the person their ki- their daughter was dating had to come to their house, engage with them on three different, three different times. So come for, come over for dinner, do a family event, you know, something like that. So the parents could smell them out. Mm-hmm. And it also showed the family if the child was responsible, right? Like, yeah, I'll come over to your house for dinner, or if they were generally engaged and interested in their and do- their daughter. Right. Right. So if you've got a kiddo that can't work that out, like you can't come over to my house, what's the deal? Right? Like that's suspect, right? So we also can put some guardrails in to help our kids be savvy daters. And you know, and I have a book called Dating Smarts that's about for teenagers, it's about you know, actually it's for teenagers. And I've had several adults read it who were like, thank you. This is helpful. (laughs) Um, So like about how to be a savvy dater and relater so that when you're ready to do the deed, uh, you're feeling good about it. Like I want every kid, I want every person the first time they have sex to say to themselves, that was 95% kick ass, right? Or, you know, I'd even go for 85%. But like, I want them to walk away thinking, I made a good decision, this person was the right person for me to start my sexual life with, I really feel good about this, so that that launches them into the rest of their relationships. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We'll be right back after this quick break. I would love to just for a minute, step back to what you were saying in this parent education piece. I'd love that you want to have parents think about what worked, what didn't work, and then what they want for their kids. What is that process like? Because I imagine a lot of this is really deep rooted stuff that it's hard to kind of unpack.
1: Yeah, so that process can look, um, look like just having some casual conversations around what do you remember when you were growing up? Sometimes just the unpacking of that, just that one conversation is enough to kind of shake some of the crap loose. I think that uh, for people who were sexually abused or experienced some kind of sexual assault or sexual trauma, it is imperative that you get therapy and that you work through those issues because it will impact your parenting around sexuality. It'll either make you hypervigilant, it can Just some of the things that I know that can happen, hypervigilance, which is not good for anyone, complete denial that the child themselves is becoming a sexually, a sexual person, which is not a good way to parent. So, I mean, there's so much, you know, especially for women, I believe the stat is that one in four women have been sexually assaulted. In some way. And so for most women, like we carry this burden, uh, usually of guilt and shame. And, you know, 90% of the 99% of the time, it has nothing to do with us, per se, it's about the perpetrator. So letting go some of that. And, you know, honestly, you know, who you are, you know, if you need help, you know, knowing that stat that one in four women, that's everybody Everybody, right? And so being willing to take care of yourself to take care of your children, I think is really hugely important. And not to dismiss men. Of course, men are sexually abused and experience sexual traumas as well. Uh, They also need to be taking care of that part of themselves. So sometimes this can be a really like a sloggy, harder feeling process. But at the end of the day, our kids need us to be healthy and whole. So if that means, you know, hooking up with a little therapy to march through some crap so that you come out the other end being a better parent, you know, I'm all for it. So that's one of the ways uh, that one of the things that can happen. I think also just getting smart about like, what does sex education look like? Like, what are the books that are out there that are for kids? What are books for parents? just really like learning about sexuality in general, you know, it's not rocket science. I'm not kidding. It is pretty straightforward in terms <laughs> of the science, mm-hmm. uh, but all the social, emotional, cultural pieces, especially these days are really getting confusing. You know, we have all these different genders. We have all these different sexualities. We have the, all these different relationship styles, you know, so there's lots more going on. So the more sex educated parents are, the more confident they feel, And then for me, I think the most important thing that parents can do for themselves and for their kids is to get really clear about their values about sexuality. And my book, Birds and Bees and Your Kids, which is available on Kindle, i help you go through this process of like, what do I believe to be true about sex and relationships? You know, are you a wait until marriage person? That's awesome. But marriage is not compelling to a horny and love 15 year old. It never has been and never will be. So what is it about being married that makes that the goal, right? If you're a person like I am, I believe that people should have sex when they are socially, emotionally, physically ready, whatever that looks like. Late 20s is, is what I'm thinking is like ideal. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, just done
0: yeah. silence here. I was like, yes, okay.
1: <laughs> I make that joke. <laughs> because really, I don't want to think about my kid having sex, right? I have a 16-year-old. Like I what we want them is to feel, like I said, like really pretty damn confident that they're ready to make that step instead Mm -hmm. of falling into it or getting it over with, right? Like many of us did, fingers pointing back at me, (laughs) Um, right? So I think that really there's work that needs to be done on the parent side. And the more you know, the more confident you'll feel, the more comfortable you'll feel. And you'll, and I, I believe that, Let me just tell you this, I always have so much to say. So when I started Birds and Bees and Kids, remember my kid was four and I had spent my life doing pregnancy and abortion counseling, STD counseling, like working with like, you know, teenagers through people in their 60s, right? And so I had seen and heard and dealt with lots of really kind of traumatic stuff in some ways and, and other ways not, right? And so, you know, I come into this conversation with my four-year-old. I'm completely at sea. I want to start a company teaching parents how to talk about sex. And so I'm sitting at my computer. I'm doing this research and I'm worried. I'm worried that this is a really weird outlier thing. I'm worried. I'm going to tell my five-year-old, my four-year-old, the penis goes in the vagina. I'm worried about what people are going to think of me, judgment, shame, all that, right? I'm sitting at my computer and I have this moment and I'm like, wait a minute. Learning about sexuality and sexual health is all about health and safety. This is about health. This is about my child's health. This is about my child's safety. That's my job as my kid's mama to keep him healthy and safe. Mm -hmm. And when I had that moment for myself, I'm like, I have epiphany, right? (laughs) And I thought, all right, go girl, permission granted, you can do this. You have, I had to get, I had to find the space within myself that gave me permission to talk openly with my child and to teach other parents how to do this. So I think that that's what I want parents to understand. Like this is required. It's, it's especially parents that are, have kiddos in the United States. Like you're lucky Well, you're homeschooling. So if you can shove them into some kind of sex ed regularly, I would do it. But in the United States, our systems are not supporting our kids in this, in this arena. So it's up to us to be the superstar sex educators and it's fun and it's funny. I mean, I mean, Parents tell me hilarious stuff all the time about what their kids say. Anyway, sorry, off the soapbox. I just am very passionate about this, as you can tell.
0: I love that. And I, the health and safety piece, it's so clear. I mean, I'm glad you had that epiphany. And that is what this is about at, at its most basic level. And that is our job. So. So what are we going for then here with, with these conversations, if it's about health, if it's about safety, at different ages, what is the outcome that we want? And and maybe another way to look at that is what aren't we going for? What
1: are we we going for? Right, that's actually a better way to think about it, actually. So I think a couple things. So first of all, we really need to think about this as a process, like it's a continual process of conversations. So they start out with little kids. Yay! It's super fun. It's easy. You get a book. It's not the stork is the book I recommend for five and unders. And in show notes, can we can we do book lists and stuff? Uh, I is would that...
0: love any and everything you want to recommend to us. I really have a I have a great resource for differently wired kids too. So
1: oh, perfect. So books are key. So you get, you get books and with the kids that are five and under, it's really about body parts and safe touch and, and honestly, what goes where, like how babies are usually made. And then as kids get older, the conversations are still about those same things, but they start to get more deep. Like, so your eight year old should know their body's going to grow and change from a kid body to an adult body. So you start the puberty conversations in there. Um, And don't be afraid to be detailed. Uh, because they need the details. And the other thing to remember when you're talking with your younger kids is that they're only going to get so much. So you may have to have like multiple conversations about the same thing. One time, Milo, we were, I was at a party with Milo and he was about five or so. And and I was talking to a woman and she's like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, I help parents talk to their kids about sex. And then Milo looks at me and she's like, mama, what's sex? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, dude, seriously, because been, we'd been at this for a while and we'd read multiple books. And I look at him and I said, it's sex. You know, it's like how babies are made when penis goes in the vagina. And he's like, oh, yes. And he's like, like, stop talking, <laughs> which is how my child is wired. So, uh, so we start with those kind of basic physiological parts. So think about it. Like we talk about the facts, like the facts and science of sex, like what goes where, you know, how things work, body parts changes, uh, safe touch, you know, a little bit about consent, uh, you know, just in terms of people agree to do this really clear message that sex is not for kids and that every adult knows that every adult and older kids knows that knows that sex and touching private parts and sexual touching is not for children they have to say those words explicitly. And then as they get older, you're going to get more detailed. So by the time they hit middle school, so that's sixth grade ish, right? They need to know the basics of everything. And when I say everything, I mean, everything. I mean, oral sex, anal sex, STDs, HIV, everything, different kinds of relationships, gay, straight, gender stuff, like the whole tamale. And when I say the basics, I mean, literally the basics. We're not the joy of sex for our kids. You know, mm-hmm. we don't need to explain how to give a blowjob. We need to explain what a blowjob is. So for us as parents, that means that we need to be a little ahead of the game, right? We need to be uh, looking for opportunities for conversation. And so your question was like, what is the goal of all this? The goal is that when your kiddo walks into middle school. And they're hanging out with a bunch of kids that they've never hung out with before. They're hanging out with kids who have a ton of information. And uh, most of it is from peers and porn. And they say to your child, and this is a true story. I had a mom tell me that her daughter in middle school was hanging up, out with a couple of socially powerful girls and she wanted to be their friend. And they said to her, if you give that guy a blow job, then you can be our friend. This girl did not know what a blowjob was. So she said, sure, Hmm. I can blow. Who can't blow, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so she, fortunately, it came out to her mom what was going on. And so you want your daughter and your son, your son, A, to say no thank you to offers of blowjobs from random girls and your daughter to know what that is. So when, when those socially powerful girls pull that kind of crap, that she's able to say, yeah, yeah, not so much. Thanks and move along. Mm-hmm. So that's the goal: is is educated, informed kids, so they can make safer decisions. Right? You know, we there is no silver bullet. I, there is no guarantee kids are going to do stupid stuff. Part of growing up, but if they have had you talking to them from an early age openly, and they're really well informed, and especially talking about your values, then they're going to be better set up to to you know ride the wave. <laughs> of, you know, that whole, like, scene change when they get into, you know, especially, like, 8th eighth, eighth through, you know, 12th grade when sex is really on the table, sadly. Really. And a bummer. Yeah. Seriously, I'm not kidding about, like, late 20s. It just feels right.
0: We'll be right back after this quick break.
2: Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel
0: I mean, as you say that now having a 12 year old, it does seem young to me eighth grade. But when I reflect on my years, many, many years ago at this point in the late 1980s, when I was in high school, it certainly was something everyone was talking about in by sixth, seventh grade. So it's I don't think that has changed, but our perspective has changed because we're in a different place. Yeah.
1: Yes. And the thing we all have to embrace is the fact that your kid, our kids are exposed to pornography. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: They will be exposed to pornography. So y'all can just stop thinking not my kid because your child will see porn. They're going to see it at home because you haven't put parental controls and monitoring software on your kid's devices. They're going to see it on the school bus because some kid shows another kid porn on their smartphone. They're going to see it at somebody else's house. They're going to see it. And it's unavoidable. And so you also, and we can probably just have another, let's have another conversation about this. Yeah, Yeah. that's a whole episode, episode. I think. And so, yeah, so we really, I mean, just the takeaway, please, please, if you do nothing else, just listen to me when I tell you this. You do not want to be the parent that gets the phone call from the school or from another parent. Your kid showed my kid porn. You don't want to be that parent. Mm Mm-hmm. So you really need yeah. to get monitoring software, lock it down, block search terms, and be really, be proactive about the porn ed- the porn education. Because that's the education yeah. they're getting. They're getting porn education, not sex education. And it's way more kids than you would ever think. So it's really a problem. And makes me cray-cray. So I'll stop talking about
0: it. Yeah, I think we should come back to this for another episode. But it's certainly something I've been reading a lot about. And it is unavoidable, as you say. And that's the kind of thing I do want to stick my head in the sand. Yes. <laughs> don't I'll do. deal with that later. Do.
1: But it's not like looking at a Playboy. It's like like people actually having really graphic. Not People don't really do that in real life sex. So let's all take a breath, shall we? I think we should take a breath.
0: Okay. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> With these kids. So I'm just thinking when Asher went to camp, before he went to summer sleepaway camp for the first time, which was two summers ago, we knew he was going to be with older boys. And we made a point of having some conversations with him to educate him more about things that he might hear, because we want him to hear it from us, as opposed to either not knowing what people are talking about or letting older boys educate him. But, you know, my child happens to be a child who is really not into having these conversations. And I know that that's a lot, you know, I know there are kids who are really interested in learning more and talking, hyper focusing on it. And then there are kids who really do not, they're very reluctant anytime. So my child. Yeah. How do you, you know, for parents who are listening to this, who have kids who really shut down what's the approach?
1: So a couple things. Uh, every Kids need books and they need books about sex. They need books about puberty. So that's the first thing is you need to lay in a supply of books. So those super private kids, they need to know. And so if they have a private place to go, like looking at a book and a safe place, like looking at a book, then that helps. Okay. So that's one of the things, but sometimes those kids will refuse to read the books So I am not beneath bribing. So I actually paid Milo to read uh, one of my favorite books. It's perfectly normal. And we had little like check-in quizzes. And I would you know, I read the book, of course, myself and have read it a couple times. And I'm like, so what'd you think about this section? And what, tell me what you learned about here. And so we do these little pop quiz things just for me to see. And at the end of the day, there is no kid that will actually end up fully resisting learning about sexuality because when they know that it's a thing and they're hearing about it and their peers are talking about it and they feel stupid, they're going to go find the information. You don't want them looking online. Right. So making sure you have books. So that's one of the things I did. I've I've done. The other thing is that Carrie and I, my husband and I talk really openly about all kinds of things in front of him. So sometimes it's a rudimentary conversation like, Hey, you know, um, I was just thinking about, uh, I just read about this woman who used in vitro fertilization to get pregnant. Isn't it so interesting? Like she couldn't get pregnant from having penis and vagina sex. And so sometimes would even, I would even say things like, you know, when the sperm goes and gets the egg and, the, you know, that whole thing. And this is all for Milo's benefit, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't know. And then I'll say, you know, and so it's so cool that the doctor can blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And so I'd throw in the details. So we do that. We talk about stuff in the paper, like talking about abortion. So, we'll talk about what abortion is, what our values are about abortion. So, he learns about abortion that way. He learns about, hey, usually it's suction abortion, but now it used to be, now lots of women take a combination of pills. You know, it's just a different way of, you know, ending the pregnancy. And then, you know, we'll talk about our values about it. And so, we have these conversations in front of him. So, that's another sneaky way. Mm -hmm. Also, this is a good rule for everybody just having quick conversations in the car. That also works. Uh, and then my last tactic, which has been probably my best tactic. So there's lots of trying to have these sort of casual conversations. And you've got to remember, they really can't close their ears. So mm. and, and you have to keep them short, especially with a kiddo who's not into it. But most kiddos aren't all that into it. So you got to keep the conversation short. So The other thing I do with Milo is I will say, like we were in the car one time and we're listening to the radio and it was NPR and they were talking about female circumcision. And one of his best friends was in the car with us. And I was pretty damn certain that Milo did not know what female circumcision was. And so I'm like, all right, note to self. So drop off his friend, we're in the car. And I said, hey, I gotta talk to you about a sex thing. We can do it now or we can do it later. And he said, later. Later. (laughs) Like he always does, right? (laughs) But what what I do when I do that is I'm preparing him So he knows it's coming.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So he's slightly more receptive. And so within a day or two, I always find a time to say, hey, okay, now it's later. Sometimes it's on our walk to school in the morning. In this circumstance, we'd gone for a bike ride and we're side to side on the bikes. And I'm like, hey, remember I told you I talked to you about a sex thing? And then I said, we were listening. Remember, we were listening to the thing. I don't know if you heard this, but it was on NPR. And they were talking about female circumcision. And so we talked, I explained to him what female circumcision is. And told him, you know, like basically the conversation is, what is it? And then what do you believe about it? So it's facts plus values. So I explained my values about it. We motor down the road. He asked me a couple of questions, like basically like, why the hell would they do that? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then we, we head on home, three minutes. And so that prepping him, like all that now or later stuff, he got used to having these conversations, saw that no one died or threw up, mm-hmm. right? Both sides. I'm not throwing up. He's not throwing up. No one dies. And so now that he's 16, you know, we have more conversations. He's more patient with me when I'm like, dude, I got to tell you this. He always says, I know, I know, I know. And I'm like, I don't care if you know. I don't know that you know unless I tell you. So listen to me. shut up and listen to me. <laughs> um, and so I think that really one of the takeaways from this is that we need to practice. Parents need to practice initiating conversations that are uncomfortable. So start with small potatoes. So start with small stake stuff. Start with stuff that's not related to sex. Like have a conscious conversation about ironing boards. I'm, I'm looking around my where I'm standing. <laughs> honest, you know, have a con- conscious conversation about you know I don't know what, but have like a specific in your head. Okay, I'm going to explain this thing to my kid and my value about it. Mm-hmm. So when you start practicing that way yourself, then when you say, "Hey, dude, have you ever heard? Do you know what oral sex is?" and they'll say yes, and you're like, "Crap." right? Or they'll say no, right? And then you talk about it. And even if they say yes, you still have to explain what it is. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you ask them what they
1: know about it first? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, so what have you heard about it? And don't with boys, don't look at them in the eye. Don't look them in the eye. Okay. Ooh, don't look at girls sometimes do. So like side to side while you're doing something else. What is it? Do you know what it is? Yeah. It's when I'm not about, they might say gross. I'm not telling you. And you say, oh, so I'll tell you, right? Don't let their discomfort shut you up. Right. It's fine for your kids to be uncomfortable. Most of life is uncomfortable, yes. and if they can't be comfortable with you, you're, they're their safest person. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, you're setting them up for trouble. So everybody gets to practice being uncomfortable. And you say, "I'm uncomfortable." My parents never talked to me about this stuff, but I'll be damned if you're going to grow up clueless like I did.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to write that quote down and use it. I love that. Yeah to it say I'm uncomfortable I'm sorry I'm uncomfortable this is not so much fun for me either but you know what I you boy you need to know right <laughs>
0: <laughs> you need to know when we're traveling and doing road trips often I have the podcasts on and we listen to an episode of this American life during one of our road trips last spring And we were into an episode before we realized that it was also about female circumcision. And, um, Uh we kind of kept checking in like, is this okay? Are you okay with this? And he was like, yeah, I'm not sure, you know, but by the time it was over, he was, he was not happy. He's like, I don't think I was ready to know all of that. So we, yeah, we had to have a moment. It's it's a tricky balance sometimes, especially, you know, and I want to talk about the vulnerabilities of differently wired kids. Some of these kids are also really hypersensitive or feel things The empathy, sure. it goes on overdrive. And I may have pushed in my desire to be open and honest and, you know, informing him, maybe push that too far. I'm not sure.
1: Sure. so part of that is when we rely on media to educate our kids, that's when we misstep, right? Mm-hmm. so just just to just kind of to yourself, like what uh, like if you had to to do over again, you would have introduced the topic, right, and talked about it in a three minute conversation. And then later, right he <laughs> would have been like, right. So like we prepare, yeah, right. We prepare for that. So you know, and you know what? He's not dead. Right. He survived right. it. He survived. <laughs> it was uncomfortable. You made a mistake. Everybody learned something. Your child now knows that female circumcision is horrible, yes. right? Yep. So, yep. right. There we go. Yeah. So, yay. Cross one that off the list. <laughs> <laughs> Feminist boy yeah. on his way. Yes, you know? absolutely. So, yeah. So, let's talk about differently wired kids. So, one of the things about differently wired kids in any kind of way, like, is that they are more vulnerable because of their different wiring so with children who are more vulnerable, they need as much, if not more, sexual health education than other kiddos. They need to be super empowered with information so that they under, so as, to the best of their ability, right? Because differently wired means all kinds of different things. You know, I know in your case, your kiddo is autistic, so that's different, right? But your child's more vulnerable because there's easier to manipulate them. So when they have a really clear message about the privacy of their bodies, who's allowed to touch them, who's not encouraged to say no to uncomfortable touch that you do, that you do the practice of requ- asking permission first before you kiss or hug or touch your child and make sure everybody else does that. It's about learning consent. Mm. So when they understand, like, like I said, sex and sexual touching, is not for kids, Every adult knows this. Every older kid knows that. Talking about job roles, talking about, you know, your coach's job is to coach uh, you. It's not to give you a ride home. It's not to give you a massage. It's not to give you treats. It's not to give you anything. It's to coach your soccer team. That's the coach's job. So being very explicit about that uh, is really important. And, anchor, and letting them know, you know, that you don't keep secrets in your family. The secrets are one of the things that really cause a lot of problems. So if somebody asks them to keep a secret, they the rule is that you always tell.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: There's no secret keeping. And there's a couple of really good resources for uh, this kind of safety talk. Uh, Savvy Parents Safe Kids is a really good resource. Um, oh, they have yes. some stuff. Yeah, Kim Estes, my colleague yep. and friend. So Savvy Parents Save Kids is a really good resource. They have this thing called the Super 10 Rules for Safety that you can just download it, print it, toss it in the backseat of the car, have your kids read it and talk about what each rule means. And the other thing too, just on this topic, is that sa- strangers are not a threat to your children. The person who's going to molest or harass your child is someone you know mm-hmm. or someone they know. Right. Strangers, it just doesn't happen. It's just super rare. Yep. So yeah. you know, will give up the stupid stranger danger thing. It really did kids and adults a disservice. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And helping them practice being out and about in the world and, you know, and really just, again, talking openly about sexuality. Because when kids know that you're open to talking about this, that's safer for them. When they see that you're willing to be uncomfortable and and you don't freak out when you're talking about this or they ask a question, that's also makes things safer for them. And some kids are hypersensitive. They don't want to hear this. It's very upsetting to them, just any of it. So with those kids, you need to move really slowly. So you know your child's temperament. How, you know, the when your child's in a good space and in a not so good space, not so good space, not time to try and ram a sex talk down their throats, right? Yeah, like, it's right. not the time, right? You look for these times of openness and connect and when they're feeling more connected and calm, and then you have the conversation with them. But don't let your fear of the, of the conversation get in the way of your having the conversation. You know, sometimes kids get this information, they can't shut up about it, right? So, If that's the case, then, you know, maybe you wait longer before you talk to your kid about the nuts and bolts of, you know, making babies and all that stuff. But don't wait to talk to them about physical touch and safety. Mm -hmm. That's nothing. Don't wait for that ever. They need to know the names for their private body parts. I mean, that's the sex talk you have with your baby. Remember at the top, I said, Mm -hmm. I could freak you out until you know a sex talk with your baby. That's the sex talk
0: with your baby. Right. So using the literal names for things as opposed to nicknames or... Yep.
1: You say penis, not tally whacker. You say testicles, scrotum, anus, vulva, vagina, clitoris, urethra, ovaries, all the parts. Yeah, right. All the parts you can see. And, you know, and then remind people, you know, right, remind your kids, especially if you have a kid who's a blurter or who's going to, like, share the good news, that, you know, people <laughs> feel it's weird. And just say it's weird, but people feel really uncomfortable around this when they hear this stuff. We're not, but other people are. We want, don't want people to be uncomfortable. So the rule is we talk about this at home with us and me, your father, your other mother or whatever, safe adults, safe adults, and just lay down the ground rules about it. And then you just do what you'd get. I mean, you just cross your fingers, right? I mean, I'd rather have a kid who's the town crier and it's filling everybody in than a kid who's clueless.
0: Well, and also, you know, you talked about looking for these openings to have these conversations that really speaks to why it's so important that we as parents get clear on what our message is, you know, we don't put that off doing the personal work ourselves and understanding our values, understanding how we want to approach these conversations, because when those openings happen, we want to be able to take advantage of them and not lose that right. window. And I know and the, as they get older, the windows get closing, right? I <laughs> they close. I'm sure I'm
1: sure yeah, it's it harder and better and, and better too. I mean, one of my personal rules is that for the time kids are 13, no filters, mm-hmm. just tell them everything. Mm mm-hmm. And again, you know your child's temperament, right? You know your child's developmental level. you know your child. so sometimes that might be too much for a 13 year old your your particular 13 year old, but generally speaking, I think it's safer to err on the side of over information than under information. And our impulse is to give them not enough information. So Cause we want to protect
0: them off. or we want right. to sh- you know keep them innocent or whatever it is. Right. Yeah, it's just false thinking. that's that's not true. It's not helpful, right not helpful, not true. So what about kids who you know, a lot of differently wired kids struggle to read social cues. And I imagine that as they start exploring dating and relationships that that is a factor in how those situations unfold. How can we help our kids figure out how to read those important social cues so they make sure they don't put themselves in an uncomfortable or unsafe position or making sure that they're not misreading their dates, uh, intentions, or cues that they're trying. Do you have any advice about that? Uh, yeah, I actually do. I have some thoughts. And then I also have an excellent resource. Um, there is a
1: website and a lovely woman who runs, runs this website called autismsexeducation.com. And she specifically provides education information for folks with autism, including kids, and their special needs and the, and kind of how to handle those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So there's good, there's books. Her name's Davida Hartman. Uh, She might be a really great person to have on the show just to kind of follow up because I'm sort of the generalist, right? She's really lovely. Uh, She has written a book called um, Sexuality and Relationship Education for Children and Adolescents with Autism Spectrum Disorders. And so one of the things for those kids would be to do have lots of conversations about checking in, Mm -hmm. Right. Like check first, is this okay? And you can practice that. You can role play it too, right? And it just in terms of you're sitting next to me. I'm noticing, you know, that your thigh is right next to mine. Would it be okay if I put my hand if we held hands? Can I put my hand on your leg? Is that okay? And so like talking about it. And I'm not an expert in this Mm -hmm. arena at all. I'm just, I'm a very pragmatic human. So some of this is me sort of running on gut. So lots of conversation about how, I mean, the most important part of sex is the talking, right? It's communication. Mm -hmm. So if you're already working on communication anyway, like when you add in the dating and relationship communication, it's lots of questions like, is this okay? And then they're waiting for a yes, right? Right. Yep. That's great. So, I mean, I think you just have to think, of, my guess is you need to think about it in terms of broader social skills. Like how do we, you know, what we do intuitively, you know, like, you know, my I'm not differently wired. So what I do intuitively when I'm interacting with someone, how do you teach some that to someone, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's just on a broader scale. Like if someone's leaning in, like you could even, I would even pick apart movies, right? Like, Let's watch this. Like, watch this. Like, see how their close bodies are close together? Do you see how her head's tilted? She's leaning into him. She's telling him with her body that she's interested in kissing him. Do you see how he's leaning back? Right. Right. So like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. See how he's recoiling from her. Mm -hmm. That's the same. Right. That he's saying no with his body. Right. So, I mean, I'm sure this is stuff you're probably most folks, lots of y'all folks are working on with your kiddos in terms of just general social skills. Mm -hmm. It's general, that kind of how to read somebody's cues. So Davida's got lots of information and support. So I'm just going to point you over to her. And, you know, she's got books on her site and stuff like that. And again, for me, we have got to come back to that. This is health and safety. You want your child to be healthy and safe. Yep. And you certainly don't want your child to be a predator, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and nobody wants their child to be a predator. And, you know, I think that's one of the other things we really need to be thinking about, especially with our boys, is how do we talk to them about how do you not be that guy? Right. You know? Yep. I'm just actually just re- reading the book Missoula by John Krakauer. And it's about uh, the University of Montana campus, and they had a, a run of acquaintance rapes, mm. and it pieces apart like how it happens, why it happens, and how these young men get away with this all all the time. And it's quite eye opening and uncomfortable. And poor Milo, speaking of like having conversations, right? Like I am reading this book, and I am like. Oh my God. And I'll read stuff out loud to Carrie mm. with Milo sitting right, right there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, while we're walking, I'm like, oh my God, these guys, this is what happens. And I explain to Milo what they're doing and what their thought process is. is and then, you know, and then I make a joke because that's how I am. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, you know, like the rule in our family is no raping. <laughs> right. And so, but he doesn't, unless he's hearing it, you know, sort of from me or Carrie, more importantly, Carrie, right he's going to be trying to make it up on his own. So he needs to know the cues,
0: right? Like he needs to know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a huge responsibility to be raising a man, you know, and, and I, I take that responsibility very seriously. And we do talk a lot about these. Unfortunately, the last year and the election cycle in the US has given us a lot of opportunity to talk about all of these issues. But but I, yes. I do love the... Um, Thanks for referring that book. I'm going to, I love John Krakauer and I'll, I'll check that out. But I, I think that is a great way to introduce this just kind of from a young age, talking about these issues Mm -hmm. and consent. Mm -hmm. And, and it is, it's a big responsibility to raise a, a respectful man. Right. And these boys that did these rapes,
1: they, they, on the surface, everybody loved them. You know, they were like, he's such a great guy. He's such a great guy. He's such a great guy. Yeah. And he had sex with his good friend while she was asleep. Mm right? What happens? Like So he pieces that apart. So hold on to your, like, seriously, hold on to your hat while you're reading that. And then the other book I highly recommend, which is also somewhat traumatizing, is Girls and Sex by Peggy Orenstein. Also quite eye-opening and very uncomfortable. And I was reading it on an airplane, which I don't know if that was the best thing, because I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. Oh no. (laughs) you know, I knew the stuff was going on. I understand how it all works. But just somehow reading it and reading these young women's stories and what they're thinking and how they're behaving. And it was just like, it was almost too much for me. So Wow, if it's too
0: much for you, that's saying something.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was hard, but we need to know. And we also as parents need to just stop thinking not my kid. Yep. Yep. Because the reality is maybe your kid and
0: for sure, your kid's going to have sex someday. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a given. But yeah, anyway, so not to end all gloom and doom. Um. <laughs> no, I, I think this is so important. And I, it just reiterates why it's so critical that we foster healthy conversations with our kids around sex, that there's really nothing off the table and that we do it in a way that helps them respect themselves and respect other people. And I have so many great notes um, to share on the show notes, although great books. And I would actually like, if you could just take a minute or two to tell us about your books that you have available as well. So listeners can know what uh, how to interact with those.
1: Yeah, totally. So I have two books out. The first is called Birds and Bees and Your Kids. And it's a guide to help you share your beliefs about sexuality with your children. So it's available on Kindle. And I'm going to actually have it available in real form here in probably two weeks. So um, if you want to hold off, I'm not, I, I read crap on Kindle. I like to read real books most of the time. Um, so I wrote that to help parents get the values piece in place for themselves. And I talk about how to talk and when to talk and give tips for that kind of co- the conversation. But my belief is that half the battle is knowing your values. And y'all have heard my values while I've been talking, right? Y'all know I'm a liberal nut job. And I don't believe that my my job isn't to change your way of thinking about your, your value system. My job is to set you up to be really clear about your sexual value system. So That's my first book. And then my second book is for teenagers. It's called dating smarts. What every teen needs to date needs to know to date, relate or wait. And I take kids through all the different aspects, like, like how to go on a date. Like I, parse out like a first date. I help kids figure out what their sexual values are so that when they're in that dating moment, they understand like, oh, this is not something I'm down with. Uh, this isn't within my value system. I talk about healthy relationships. I talk about sex too, like, you know, STIs and all that stuff too. So lots of parents buy the dating smarts books when their kids are in like late elementary middle school because it actually gives them talking points
2: mm. so they can
1: talk about like, oh, hey, did you know that this is not a, you know, did you know, I was thinking about this thing about like healthy relationships and, and, and just gives them other just fodder, right to make it, the conversations easier. Right. So those are my, those are my two books. And then my website birds and bees is just about to be it's been the I don't know if you've ever remodeled a website. Yes, unfortunately, but, oh, many times <laughs> it takes forever. So we're in the middle of the forever. So I'm going to have a new site up soon, hopefully. But in the meantime, you can go slog around on my old site there's tons of resources there. Uh, I do have a newsletter that I send out a couple times a month with tips and tricks for staying on track of talking to your kids. So you can sign up for that through my website. Um, and then I teach webinars about once a month on different more in-depth topics. And um, I'm going to be doing those for free in the new year. So I have one, I haven't gotten it scheduled yet coming up on genders and sexualities. So we can understand what's going on because it's confusing. So that'll come up sometime in the, towards the end of the month. And uh, you can watch them anytime. You can watch them live or you can watch a recording. Fantastic. Yeah. And then I travel and do talks for parents all over the country. And I also work with professionals who work with, with children. Uh, I teach uh, sexual abuse prevention through the lens of healthy childhood sexuality. So
0: lots of ways. To play. Yeah, that's great. And uh, you know, I'm sure as listeners uh, have been listening to this episode, you are a wealth of information. And it's great that you're accessible to people who are who live around the world. I'm excited about your, your webinars, I will definitely check those out. We'll be getting the books for sure. And we will have to have you back on the show because I mean this was a long episode. And thanks for hanging in listeners. But I, I was riveted and I hope you were too. Uh, but we'll have to have you back on the show to have a part two of this. There's so much to discuss here. Yes, I'd be happy. Totally happy to. I'm happy to support your community and your work as well. Well, thank you. And I thank you so much for being on the show. I... I always say I have the best job in the world because I get to interview people like you. And of course, I benefit greatly from this selfishly. Um, But I I knew this was going to be a fascinating conversation. And my expectations were totally met. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here today. My total pleasure. If you've been listening to the Tilt Parenting podcast, for the show notes for this episode, including links to Amy's website, her books, and the rest of the resources we discussed on today's show, visit the show notes page at tiltparenting.com session 44. If you like what you heard on today's episode, and you haven't already done so, please consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, or even better, leave a review. This really helps our podcast get more visibility. And lastly, if you're not already signed up for our newsletter, I'd love for you to join our Tilt Parenting online community. I send out short weekly updates with links to new content on the Tilt website, articles and resources just for you. Thanks again for listening. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com.